Good morning. Kids are dismissed to Children's Church. I am going to be reading out of Luke chapter 9 this morning. Verses 1 through 6 say, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, good morning. Luke. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, is weird to me, because we just, this morning, we're starting our, our missions fundraising for the International Missions Board, that we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we're raising money for the North American Mission Board, that we can plant new churches here in North America, and yet we see Jesus send out the 12 disciples to go around the countryside with Nothing. Just think about that for a second. We see the value and need to raise millions of dollars to send the gospel around the world, yet Jesus says, no, don't take any money, just go. Now, I, I got to tell you, I had a time in my life where I got to do something very similar to Luke chapter 9. Now, I think a few of you probably know the story, I've told it before, but when I was in college, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip with John Tucker to uh, Senegal in West Africa. So for those of you who are new and don't know who John is, a couple of weeks ago, he was the guy who came up, you're like, who's that guy? Uh, who talked about Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child. So John Tucker and I go way back, all the way to when I was in college many, many moons ago. Um, so anyway, uh, we were in Senegal, and it was me and John and our translator. And our job was to go to village to village to collect demographic data to see where it might make sense to send future mission teams. So this was the plan. Me, John, and our translator driven way out of the, into the bush, like way out into the bush, and dropped off at a trading village. And then our job was to go from town to town around this village for like four or five days. And I can't remember. We were originally scheduled to do it three times. I can't remember if we did it three or two times. But we were dropped out for three or four days out in the middle of the uh, bush, to track these villages. Now, we didn't know anyone out there. And when I say we didn't know anyone, like, oh, you know, a cousin's cousin was out there. No, no, like, we didn't know anyone out there. And we didn't know what kind of people they were. That's the kind of job we were going to do, was who are these people, and how are they, and are they receptive, and blah, blah, blah. Like, that was our job. And we uh, were largely dependent on them for, our hospi for, for hospitality to make it. So in our bags, because this idea of going out there without two tunics and, you know, a staff and, you know, no money. We had money in our back. We had money with us. We had some food with us. We had sleeping bags and tents with us. But we went out into these villages, and, like, if they didn't welcome us in, we were on the edge of town, and you'd didn't want to be on the edge of town in Africa. 
Okay? And we didn't have enough food to be full. We had enough food to live on and to not be starving and to have energy, but we did not have enough food to be full. So we would go into these villages and depend on them for uh, enough to get by, to stretch our supplies so that we could make this work. I got to tell you, it was as close to Luke 9 as I could ever imagine being, and yet I still had money, I still had food, I brought my own tent. You know, like all these things were things that I did. And I look at this and I go, Jesus, you're crazy, right? Like, go and don't prepare, don't take anything, depend on others, go. Why would Jesus ask his disciples, not, why would Jesus tell his disciples to go and do this? What is his purpose? What is his plan? As citizens of the kingdom of God, their king, Jesus, set them up for success as he called them to do hard things. What I hope we can see today is that Jesus empowered them and set them up for success as he called them to do something very, very hard. Today we're going to look at at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see that Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the coming of the kingdom. Okay, but they're going to do this with power and authority. And by that power and authority, they're going to heal and cast out demons. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So what's their mission? Their mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what they have been charged to do. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now Luke uh, also uses the phrase preaching the gospel. So we have preaching the gospel paralleled with proclaiming the kingdom of God. If you've got your Bibles open, take a quick glance down to verse 6. And verse 6 says this, And they departed and went through the villages, what? Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what I want you to see here is that this idea of proclaiming the gospel of God and preaching the gospel are parallel concepts. These are synonyms. They are two different ways to say the exact same thing. All right, so uh, we, we see this concept of preaching the gospel, of proclaiming the kingdom, even the kingdom of heaven, mentioned throughout the gospels. And because of that, This has become our new motto at church. So if you've got your bulletins and you look at the front, what's it say? Our our church believes its mission is to be a church where the gospel is proclaimed. Okay, so we want to be about telling others about the gospel, where the gospel is known, where we believe it, we know it, we experience it here, and the gospel is lived, where it's not just something that we hear and put in our brains, but because of the power of God at work in our lives, we live it out. So it's the gospel proclaimed, the gospel known, the gospel lived. This is a gospel concept throughout all four books of the gospel. And what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. So when we say gospel, we mean the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I think for many of us, when we hear this idea of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
then our, our brain immediately goes to the cross. We go straight to the cross. We hear gospel, we go straight to the cross. We tend to think of the gospel of Jesus Christ as being that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead and saved us from our sins. Right? That's the gospel. And that is absolutely correct. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. But I do think that view is pretty narrow and that it's right here. Me. And, And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is a little bigger than me. Okay, so uh, what we need to think about, all right, as we, what we need to think about uh, is what Jesus preached. What did Jesus preach as he went out? What did he send the disciples to go out and preach? They went out to preach what? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the gospel. All right, so that's where we're going to begin today. What we're going to do is look at what this means to proclaim the kingdom of God. We're going to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? Okay, what is the kingdom of God? And why would Jesus give his disciples power and authority over demons and to heal along with this charge to go and proclaim the kingdom of God? All right, so let's, let's jump in here. Let's look at this. What is the kingdom of God? To answer this question, what I want us to do is to look back in the book of Luke. We're going to look back in the book of Luke to Luke chapter 4, verse 43. This is something we discussed several months ago when we were in Luke 4. Now, this is Jesus speaking. It says, but he, Jesus, in Luke 4, 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. What's the purpose he was sent? To preach the the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. So in other words, all over the place, all right? That was his purpose. Now, a quick side note here. If you opened your Bible to Luke chapter 4, I just want to challenge you to peruse around that chapter and see some of the things that are done in chapter 4. All right, in verses 31 through 41... In chapter 4, they talk specifically about examples of Jesus healing illnesses and casting out demons. And then if you look at verses 40 and 41, generally speaking, it says that Jesus did that a lot. That he cast out many demons and lots of people were healed. I think there is a link to these miracles and the kingdom of God. Now, we'll get to that later. Just put a pin in that. I just want you to notice that it's there, okay? Now, this idea of, of the kingdom of God being preached is mentioned in all four Gospels. So I want to take you to all four Gospels, and I want you to see this language that's mentioned throughout all four Gospels. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What was he doing? Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so what do we see? Jesus, again, what's he doing? He's preaching the kingdom of God. All right, now, Matthew chapter 3, so now we're in the third different gospel here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, tells us that part of John the Baptist's message was, as it says here in, this is the words of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now we got John the Baptist saying it as well. 
Okay, now turn the page to Matthew 14, verse 17, and what we see here is, uh, this time it's Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom at heaven is at hand. So, man, Brandon, you are wearing us out. Why are you doing this? The point that I want us to see and that I, I want us to begin to understand is that this idea of proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is universal throughout the Gospels. So we looked at Matthew, we looked at Mark, we've of course looked at Luke. Now let's go ahead and I want you to see this in the book of John. Now the, the book of John probably emphasizes the kingdom the least of the four Gospels. However, the way it's emphasized is pretty neat. All right, so we're going to jump right into a famous passage in John chapter 3. This is that famous conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus where we get the, the wonderful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. All right, but before we get there, we have the conversation about being born again. And we're going to jump right into Nicodemus talking in John chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus talk, it says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, here Jesus begins to set the table for what we're going to see later in the book of John, all right? The kingdom of God is not a material kingdom. Okay, that's important. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not a material kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, okay? He says, we need to be born naturally, of course, but also born again, born again spiritually. Now, another little side note that I think is important as we talked about that other side note we mentioned in Luke 4, all right? Nicodemus mentions signs. So something I want you guys to see again is there's another connection of miracles and the kingdom of God. There's a connection between miracles and the kingdom of God. All right, but more on that later. All right, so in summary, Jesus says that entry into the kingdom of God requires a new, second spiritual birth, emphasizing that the kingdom of God is of a spiritual nature. Okay, now, I've heard the kingdom of God explained like this. Okay, the, the kingdom of God is dynamic rather than static. The kingdom of God is dynamic rather than static. And so for those of you who are sitting there going, okay, where are we going now? Let me see if I can help you out so that you can begin to see the difference of what the kingdom of God really is. So a static kingdom would be like that of Great Britain. So let's go back to uh, 1776, okay, when, when the United States declared its independence from Great Britain. All right, so prior to July 4th, the colonies, the 13 colonies, were a part of the static kingdom of Great Britain. There was a physical monarch ruling over boundaries that you could draw on a map. So it was at a time with a ruler within boundaries. 
July 3rd, we were subject to Great Britain. July 4th, we declared our independence. We said, no, we're not. All right, so like static kingdom fixed in history. All right, the kingdom of God is not static. The kingdom of God is dynamic. So here's what that means. God's rule is not limited to borders on a map. Amen? All right, good, good. I just want to make sure, like, given, duh, of course. His rule and reign, the kingdom of God, is not limited by time. Okay, so and it's also not limited to a single monarch. So the kingdom of God is transcendent. Now listen to how Jesus interacts with Pilate at the end of his life in John chapter 18. So here we have Jesus on trial, about ready to be executed. He's brought before Pilate in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. And I think this really helps us understand the dynamic nature of the kingdom of God. So here's the conversation, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, all right, I'm going to put my finger here. For those of you who don't know, Pilate is a Roman governor who is uh, overseeing and governing the region uh, of, of Jerusalem, Judea, all right? So he's, he's there as a, uh, a leader under Rome, the Roman authority. All right, so Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, listen, what's, what's his answer? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of, from this world, not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So what does Jesus say? Right? So, so Pilate asked Jesus, are you calling yourself a king? Are you challenging the static rule of Caesar and even Herod? And Jesus says, no. That's not my kind of kingdom. I'm not that kind of king. If I were... We'd be at war. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, we can use this answer here to, to kind of oversimplify the kingdom of God and, and to, to detach his kingdom from this world entirely and now make Jesus' statement meaning that he's only a kingdom in heaven. He's only a king in heaven. All right? We, we can make this statement about a kingdom in life after death. But I think if we do that, we've made a mistake. Okay? Jesus isn't merely saying that he's a king in heaven forever. He's saying much more than that. Jesus is saying that he is a king over the earth, but in a way that is far different from that of Caesar, and especially that of Herod. His kingdom is better than a human kingdom. His kingdom is not a kingdom that can be contained. The kingdom of God is dynamic, it transcends the rule of any earthly monarch. 
that transcends the boundaries of even the largest dynasties. The kingdom of God is quite revolutionary, okay? It is a kingdom that has come and is here now. And it is a kingdom that is coming. So it has come in one way, and soon it is coming in a much more glorious way. It is an already, not yet kind of situation. Listen, if we were to go, let's go back to Luke, okay? But we're going to skip ahead to, to chapter 17. And the Pharisees ask Jesus a question that I'm so glad they ask. Every now and then, these little scoundrels, they come up with really good questions, and I'm thrilled that they ask because it's one I want to ask. So here's what they, they ask Jesus, starting in Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So put your finger there. So, hey, Jesus, this kingdom that you're proclaiming, when's it going to come? Look at his answer. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's saying, it's already here. You're looking for it, trying to say, there. they're looking for a static kingdom. They're looking for another monarch to come in. And what Jesus says is, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Who's in their midst? Jesus is in their midst. He's present. His rule and reign is there. His kingdom has already come. Now, is it going to come in a more glorious way? Yes, but he's telling them that his kingdom is not about a physical kingdom in this static sense, but it is no less present because where he is, his rule is, his kingdom is, his kingdom has already come. But... It's going to come in a much more glorious way. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, what's he say here? Fellow citizens of the kingdom, guys. That's citizens of the kingdom. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, we're talking about this idea of the kingdom of God being here now. By the work of the Holy Spirit, what do we see Paul say? He says, because of the work of the Spirit, what's it say in verse 18? For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. By the Holy Spirit in us, we have citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And where the Spirit is at work, the kingdom is. Where the Spirit is at work, the kingdom is. Look at how it ends in 22. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit by the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, the kingdom 
is. Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It was in the midst of them through the physical presence of Jesus, and it is still present on earth through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit today. So the kingdom of God is here now, but it's coming in a new and better way when Christ returns. So we need to think of it this way, right? The kingdom of God is here now, and so since it's here now, it is being preached as a kingdom of hope that is to come. So it is now, and it is coming, all right? And so because of that, when it comes, it's not mere. Okay, so for us now, today, it's a kingdom of hope. We look forward to the day when the king comes back. We look forward to the day when his reign is physical and real in this world. So for now, it is a kingdom of hope, and we preach a gospel of hope. It's here now, and it's one of hope, but it's also a kingdom coming. And it is a kingdom coming, so it's not just a kingdom of hope, it is a kingdom of realization, meaning that hope will be fulfilled. It will happen. The kingdom will come in a new and fantastic and glorious way. The kingdom is coming. Now, for time's sake, we, we can't read them all, but here's the thing that I, I want you guys to, to understand. When Jesus comes, well, this is kind of tough. We don't, we don't like to talk about this too much, okay? When Jesus comes, in this idea of realizing his kingdom, he's going to defeat his enemies. Now, think about that. When a, when a kingdom in this world advances and establishes itself, what does it do? It overcomes its enemies. So, so God, so Jesus, when he comes again to establish his kingdom once and for all, forever, in a real way, he's going to defeat his enemies. So when Jesus returns, when he comes back, he comes with judgment. He comes with judgment. And with that judgment comes salvation and redemption for those who believe. Now, I'm going to give you guys a list of passages. All right? I'm going to read these to you. And what I want you to see in these passages, okay, is that these passages describe two things. First, these passages, all right, describe judgment on a world that has rejected the rule of Christ. There is judgment on a world that rejects Christ. And second... There is hope for those who trust in him. Now, we don't have time to read all these, okay? Because what I could do, if you wanted, we could be here till 3 or 4 o'clock, and we could go through each one of these verses, and we could see how this all plays out. So what I want you guys to do is just write these down and read them at home this week and, and think about them. And I want you to see the way they describe two realities, judgment for a world that's rejected Christ and hope for those who trust in him. Now, what I am going to do, though, is, is grab on to a couple of these verses, and what, what I hope we'll see is that the kingdom that we have now in our midst is a pledge and a taste of the greater kingdom that is to come. So we get to experience a little bit now of what we long for and anticipate. So we're going to look at a couple little verses that come from these passages that are mentioned. Let's first look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, what I want you guys to see there is what's that language? That language is a language of rule, okay? Our citizenship is in heaven, and he's going to transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, now how's he going to do that? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What do we see there? His authority and his power. By his authority and by his power, we will be transformed into a glorious body, okay? It is a promise to us that this flesh and these bones is not all there is for those who believe. In the new kingdom, those who are citizens will have a version of these bones and this body that will be renewed and be glorious and reflect Jesus in his resurrected body. Church, this is, this is the image of God restored. This is recovering what was lost when sin entered the world. Sin has marred and destroyed everything, and God will remake the world in his new kingdom. That is where our hope is. That is what we long for. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 through 27. All right. So in, in this passage, it says that when the kingdom comes, the final enemy will be destroyed. And that final enemy is death. What's it say? For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjugation under his feet. His power, his authority, his kingdom, how widespread, how powerful, all things are going to be made subject to him, even the power of death. John sums up this idea in Revelation 21. It's one of my favorite passages to read. I read it all the time. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. This is the end, when it's done, and the kingdom has come. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you see? The kingdom of God is not about borders. It's not about time. The kingdom of God is about his reign. He has reigned. He is reigning. And he will reign for eternity. The kingdom of God is where he is, where he is working, and where he is bringing about his will and his purpose. Now, this happens in a small way now, okay? But when he comes, it will be at the sound of a trumpet. There will be no mistaking it. 
It won't be small. It'll be quite large. Now, with that in mind, let's go back and read our passage again. What are they supposed to proclaim? All right, Luke 9, verses 1 through 6. And he called the 12 together. So that was the introduction, guys. And he called the 12 together. It's fast. The rest is fast. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And wherever and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever they do not, and, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Okay, so what's their mission? Their mission is to go and proclaim. Proclaim what? The gospel of God. The kingdom of God. The rule and reign of of Jesus, both in the future and in now. Now, his rule over what? So as they're coming to proclaim his rule, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Okay, so his rule over what? S simply put, his rule over everything. Everything. But specifically, we see Jesus answer uh, what he rules by how he tells his disciples to go. Think about that for a second. We've got to look at how he tells his disciples to go, and that will show us how he rules over everything. All right, so how do the disciples go and preach the coming of the kingdom? Well, it tells us in our passage that they are given power and authority. Power and authority. Now, this power and authority is... Now, we're talking about the kingdom here. So when we think about kingdoms, what do we think about? Power and authority. They're going to proclaim the kingdom, so how should they come? In the power and authority of the kingdom. You see how this is all working together? All right. So, so that's what they're, they're supposed to do. And what is their power and authority to do? Now we get, as Baptists, a little uncomfortable. Uh, power and authority to do what? To heal the sick. To cure diseases and to cast out demons. And how are they to go about it? With nothing. With nothing. They're to go without anything but the power of the kingdom of God. That is all they're supposed to take with them. And Jesus says, that'll be enough. The kingdom is now in a small way. And the kingdom is to come in a much more glorious way. Now, remember those little side notes that I mentioned as we went throughout those scriptures earlier? I want you to think about something. Luke 4 places Jesus' statement that he's going out to preach the kingdom of God within the context of healing miracles and casting out demons, right? And what do we see in John 3 as uh, uh, Nicodemus was saying, I know there's something different about you, Jesus, because of all the signs, right? The signs. And then what does Jesus do? He responds by talking about the kingdom. 
Now, think for a second about the coming kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about future. Future. This coming kingdom. What do we know about this coming kingdom? Where's Satan going to be? Bound. Satan is going to be bound. The spiritual forces of darkness are conquered. When the kingdom comes in full in the end, will there be any more illness? No. Will there be any more disabilities? No. Will there be any more death? Death itself is defeated. And in the future kingdom, will we have all of our physical needs met? Yes. Here's what I want you to see. Do you see, like, the future kingdom of Jesus is big. And it is something that we are hopeful about. But what do we see here as the preaching of the gospel goes out? We see a taste, just a little taste of the future kingdom coming to earth. This this brings us great hope. What we see in this charge to Jesus' disciples is that Jesus is bringing the future kingdom now. Now, you're all probably sitting there thinking to yourselves, okay, Brandon, this is really good information. And I loved how you, you know, put this into a, uh, you gave us the context of this passage. But but what on earth does this mean to me? What, What is the application for me in my life? The kingdom is coming in a great way, and the kingdom is here now. What does that mean for me? Why does that matter? Church. Life in Christ is a life of hope. That is the application for us. We get to have hope. Not only that, all right, I'm going to challenge you. Hear me, uh, and I'm going to get your scowls. I know it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Following uh, Jesus in the kingdom of God is a life of optimism. Optimism. Oh, Brandon, I'm just a realist. Yeah, me too. Guess what the real is? The real is. He's coming back. Okay, like we get to be optimists. We get to have hope. We get to have certainty. We get to have confidence. Christians should be uniquely confident people. Not in ourselves. We're worthless on our own, right? But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because he has saved us, because he loves us, we get to participate in the power of the kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is a place of tremendous optimism because the kingdom that is going to be has come now. And this kingdom is not like any other kingdom on earth. Okay. Think about our kings. Think about the kingdoms now. They're limited. They're limited. They're limited in their time. Just go back throughout history. Every kingdom expires eventually. Even the kingdoms that exist today is going to expire eventually. God's kingdom will never expire. Those kingdoms have power and authority within their boundaries. God's kingdom knows no boundaries. The rule and reign is often limited to leaders, one or two at a time. But, But God's kingdom transcends all leaders. Now, here's what that means for us. No matter what power and authority may exist on earth, whose power and authority still exists? God's. So even when we are under an earthly king that is terrible and abusive and tyrannical and evil, 
God is still in control. And because his kingdom is transcendent, then no matter where we are and what we are experiencing, we're not alone. We have hope. Now, does that mean, does that mean that all our problems magically go away? Man, if you just look at the New Testament, you see the disciples have boldness as they proclaim the gospel, not because they're going to end up safe in this life, but because their eyes aren't on the limitations of this earthly kingdom. Their eyes are set on eternity. And so as they experience suffering for the gospel, as they go through hard things, their eyes aren't fixed on their present reality. Their eyes are set on the hope of the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate the present kingdom of Christ because our future is secure in the eternal kingdom of Christ. So we get to be a people that has hope and optimism. We get to be a people that is positive, not because good vibes are good for the soul, okay? That's garbage. That's new age stuff. But because our eternity is fixed in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so we get to live that way. And that this hope that we have is certain with confidence and optimism and joy in the midst even of our suffering. And so we get to have that confidence. We get to have that, uh, I think about the apostles. What, what, is, what does Jesus do? He sends them out with nothing. He sends them out with nothing. So as we go and share the gospel, as we teach others about Jesus, as we share the good news of the coming kingdom and the present kingdom of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence. Now, I, I still took a tent. I still took a sleeping bag, and some food as I went to the bush in Africa, okay? But I went out there with confidence knowing that God was in control, knowing that his kingdom would come, knowing that my life is in his hands every day. Do we believe that? If we believe our, our life is in his hands every day, then we should also believe that as we uh, need his boldness to help us go and share the good news of Jesus. So as I think about this idea of, all right, what, what is Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6 telling us? Jesus is sending his disciples off to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And he's doing it in the power of the kingdom of God. And he's bringing about the, the kingdom in front of them. And they get to go out resting assured that God has their needs covered as they go and share the good news. Knowing full well, he says, he gives them a warning in the passage that some will not accept them. So despite God's authority, despite Jesus' authority, despite the kingdom of God, there are going to be those who will reject the message of the kingdom of God. We, we know that. Jesus says as much. But we can still have confidence that he's going to meet our needs even as we go out. Now, will he meet them all in this life? Maybe not. That's not the promise. The promise is that his kingdom is going to come and he will meet all our needs, if not in this life, then in the next. And so we can live like those who have hope in the kingdom of God as we see it now and look forward to its coming in its fullness in the end. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for the way that you have given us this message of your power and authority. Lord, I pray that we would see your kingdom at work. We would see the certainty of 
of your coming. And Lord, we would enjoy the privileges of being your citizens now. And Father, I pray for boldness in our hearts that we would um, see see that, that you have called us to these things. Lord, that we would see the hope that we have and that it would be transformative to our outlook on life, to the way we process current events, that we would not go through life as those with no hope and pessimism and uh, skepticism, but Lord, with optimism, knowing that you are going to bring about your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.